We meet today to introduce Paul's second epistle to the Thessalonians. The second epistle that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians followed shortly after his first epistle, which he wrote in A.D. 52 or 53. Since Paul's first letter, the seeds of false doctrine have been sown among the Thessalonian believers, causing them to waver in their faith. And by the way, whenever a good work has been done, the enemy comes to sow bad seeds. When God had planted a good word, a good seed, and the church was growing in the Thessalonian church, the enemies came behind and began to plant seeds of discord. Paul now removes these destructive seeds, and again he plants the seeds of truth. He begins by commending the believers on their faithfulness in the midst of persecution and encouraging them that the present suffering will be repaid with the future glory. Again, Paul is a master teacher. In his address, he starts by commending what was good, which these believers were doing. And then he tells them what they are going through will actually be repaid. It will be repaid. Therefore, in the midst of persecution, they must have a high expectation. Their expectations must be high. Faithfulness in the midst of persecution is encouraged. Then Paul moves on to deal with the central matter of his letter. There was actually a misunderstanding spawned by false teachers regarding the coming day of the Lord. Despite the reports to the contrary, that day has not yet come. And Paul recounts the events that must first of all take place. Remember that even in the first letter, he talked of the laboring for the gospel. He talked of the work of faith, the labor of love, and then the patience of hope. Now, laboring for the gospel rather than lazy resignation is the proper response. Apparently, others had simply said, since the Lord is coming, we must just resign from engaging ourselves with the things that needs to be done in life. It was actually given as a good excuse, yet it was an excuse for laziness. Paul says, you must even work for the Lord. The fact that you have this expectation of the Lord's coming should cause you to work even harder right today. Now, it is very important for us all to note that the Christians in Thessalonica were still baby Christians when Paul wrote Second Thessalonians. His first letter to them had given raise to further questions, and Paul is also attempting to answer them in this second letter, there was circulating in the Thessalonian church a letter or a report purported to have come from Paul himself, which was inclined to disturb all the Christians. This false report claimed that Christ had already come and had already gathered out the church to himself and that the world was then 
living in the judgment of the day of the Lord. As baby Christians, these believers were being persecuted as we saw in the first epistle. They were suffering for the gospel's sake, and it was easy for them to believe that they had entered into the great tribulation period, and that all the believers, not only the dead, had missed the rapture. And whenever the believers are in a doubt, the enemy comes to try to take advantage of that doubt, and therefore was disturbing the standing of these believers. Paul now writes, attempting to allay their fears by writing this epistle and stating definitely that our gathering together unto the Lord is yet future. That is the subject he deals with in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1. But he also writes to say that the day of the Lord has its certain forerunners which must first of all come to pass, namely, the apostasy and the men of sin must first of all come. Therefore, they could reasonably believe that they were not in the great tribulation until they have seen this great apostasy and then the revelation of the men of sin. Any claim that the day of the Lord had come was a lie. It was a false claim. And so Paul is writing to correct some of these things. He goes on to say that the outward organization of the professing church is going to go into total apostasy. The outward organization, remember that the church is not necessarily the kingdom of God. But you can also not say that the church is not part of the kingdom. There is the middle ground where the kingdom of God and the organized church meet. That's where the kingdom of God is. But the outward organization of the church as it is today, which has both believers and non-believers, unfortunately, is going to go into total apostasy, total backsliding, total disbelief, if you like. In Luke chapter 18, the Lord Jesus asked, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Well, the way the question is couched in Greek demands a negative answer, actually. He will not find faith on the earth when he comes back because the organized church will be in total apostasy. This is confirmed even in the book of Revelation. In the fourth chapter, the church has been removed from the earth and nothing is left but an empty shell of an organization that has a form of godliness, but it denies its power. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13 all the way to verse 18 told us of how God will remove the church through the rapture, through the snatching, through the removing of the church out of the world. But they will remain here on the earth. That organized church, which only has a form, it will continue to do business as usual, but it will not be the church of Jesus Christ. That is the church that will go into apostasy. That same organization is the great harlot in Revelation chapter 17, which is about as frightful a picture as you can find in the word of God. 
It will make alliances and come into agreements even with world powers. That is not the church of Jesus Christ. The Thessalonian believers thought that they had entered the great tribulation and ever since that time, people who have gone through persecutions and tribulations have believed that they were in the great tribulation period. For example, during the World War I, at the time of the Blitz in Britain, some of the British ministers actually, who were conservative in their faith, came to the conclusion that they had entered the Great Tribulation and that the church was going to go through it. I know even of some well-meaning preachers today who believe that the church will go through the tribulation period. In fact, they believe that the church is in it right now. These people point to the world wars that we have had or what is currently happening even in the Middle East. However, my friend, the description of the tribulation in the Bible is much worse than anything that has happened during World War II or even what is happening in the Middle East. This period has been so clearly identified by Christ that there is no reason for quickly getting panicky or even for being stampeded into an unwarranted position. Jesus Christ said that there is a coming, a small interval, which will be blocked off by such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. This is according to Matthew chapter 24, verse 21. Nothing like it has ever taken place before, and nothing like it will ever take place afterward. While First Thessalonians emphasized the return of Christ for his church, in what we call the rapture. Second Thessalonians emphasizes the return of Christ to the earth the second time, when he returns in judgment and he returns to set up his kingdom here upon the earth. This is not called the rapture, but this is called the revelation. You see at the rapture, the emphasis is not upon his coming to the earth because he doesn't come to the earth. He makes it very clear that we shall be caught up with him in the air. We shall meet the Lord in the air, according to First Thessalonians 4, verse 17. Caught up, again, is the Greek word hapazo, meaning to snatch away. We shall be snatched away or raptured to meet Christ in the air. However, the revelation of Christ is when he returns to the earth to set up his kingdom. In the time between these two events will be the Great Tribulation period. As we saw in First Thessalonians, the rapture is not a subject of the Old Testament. That teaching does not even appear in the Old Testament. What appears in the Old Testament is the Great Tribulation. The hope of the Old Testament saints was an earthly one, my friend. They were looking for their Messiah to come and establish a kingdom here upon the earth, with which would be heaven upon earth. The expression kingdom of heaven means the reign of the heavens over the earth. That is putting it as simply as I know how. 
some of the theologians really have made it complicated, so complicated that I wonder if they are trying to establish some kind of a theory. But the kingdom of heaven which Jesus talked about is the reign of heavens over the earth because this earth is going to become a heaven when he is here. In a nutshell, the second letter to the Thessalonians was written to assist the Thessalonians in a better understanding of life's experiences. Specifically, Paul wrote to explain the persecution being experienced by the believers there. Secondly, it was also to correct a misunderstanding concerning the imminence of the Lord's return. And thirdly, he wrote to encourage the disorderly and the disobedient to learn to live a life of self-control. The immediate cause for this second letter to the Thessalonians was evidently a serious, spurious letter incorrectly attributed to Paul, which had caused confusion concerning the order of events upon the return of Christ. So it is a wonderful book with three key chapters, and Dr. McGee suggested a wonderful outline to this epistle. And that outline, he made it into three big, uh, broad outlines according to the chapters. The first part is the persecution of believers now, judgment of unbelievers hereafter. That is at the coming of Christ. We find this in chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 12. What are the details of this section? Well, verses 1 to verse 2 is an introduction. Verses 3 to verse 7 is the persecution of believers and fruits of it. Then verses 8 to verse 12 is judgment of the wicked at Christ's coming. Judgment of the wicked at Christ's coming. The second part of the outline is chapter 2. Verse 1 to verse 12. Chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 12. Here, that broader outline talks of the program for the world in connection with Christ's coming. What are the details of this major section? The rapture occurs first in verse 1 of chapter 2. Then in verse 2 to verse 5, the day of the Lord follows introduced by total apostasy and appearance of the man of sin. Verses 6 to verse 8, the mystery of lawless working together, lawless one restrained by the Holy Spirit. And finally, in that broader section, verses 9 to verse 12, we see the lawless one appearing in great tribulation period. The third part of the outline is the practicality of Christ's coming. That begins in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 3, to chapter 3, verse 18. The details of this major section are, believers should be established in the word. 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 13 to verse 17. Then the believers should be established in their walk. Chapter 3, verse 1 to verse 7. Finally, the believers should be established in their work. 
So you see here, established in the word, established in the walk, established in the work. So in the work, we find that section being dealt with in chapter 3, verse 8 to verse 18. Now concerning 2 Thessalonians, uh, contribution to the whole Bible, Dr. Bruce Wilkinson, in his talk through the Bible, has a wonderful comment. Here is what he says. This is the shortest of Paul's nine letters to the churches, but it provides crucial information concerning the end times and clarifies issues that would otherwise be very obscure. Even so, there has been a wide difference of opinion regarding the nature of the man of lawlessness and the restrainer. The two Thessalonian epistles, along with the Olivet Discourse of Matthew 24 and 25 and the book of Revelation, form the three major prophetic texts of the New Testament. Their early date places them among the first New Testament books to be written and reveals that the apostolic doctrine had already become a settled body of truth. Paul refers to his teaching among the Thessalonians as the traditions which they had received. That is according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 15, chapter 3 verse 6. So these epistles refer to almost every central doctrine of the Christian faith, even though they are not doctrinal treaties like Roman or Ephesians. What a wonderful quote. But here Dr. Bruce Wilkinson is making an important point as to talk about the contribution of this epistle to the Bible, the contribution to our understanding of the total Bible and even touching on some theological subjects that can never be ignored by the true believer. You see, my friend, the return of Christ is mentioned more than 318 times in the New Testament than any other doctrine. And this is certainly the major concept that we find in chapter 1 to chapter 2 of this wonderful epistle. Meaning to say the return of Christ is a major subject. So this epistle contributes a great deal to the Bible. The return of the Lord Jesus Christ, my friend, is a reassuring and a joyful hope for the believers. But his revelation from heaven holds awesome and terrifying implications for those who have not yet trusted in Christ Jesus. Have you trusted in Christ Jesus? Have you become a child of God? Because as he comes, his revelation, remember his revelation is different from the rapture. The rapture he takes out the church and the church will be with him at his revelation he comes to judge and then establish his kingdom there are terrifying awesome implications for the church today we will not go through the terrifying time but for those who have not yet believed who will have to go through the tribulation period it is not a good day are you ready uh, will he come to you like a thief in the night? 
or you are expecting his coming because you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, I look forward to our engagement with the issues of the book that is in Second Thessalonians as we understand the revelation of Christ. In First Thessalonians, we talked of the rapture of Christ. In Second Thessalonians, the major subject is the return of Christ, the revelation of Christ himself. What a joy, what an anticipation we have, and what a comfort we also have to know that we are safe and secure in Christ Jesus. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please send a WhatsApp message or SMS to plus two seven seven two six four one four four seven five. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. I'll repeat that number for you. It's country code 27 followed by 72641-4475. From within South Africa, it's 072-641-4475.